it'll be banter. Yep, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the fun bit where G'day. nobody else is listening. G'day, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hair, hair, G'day. because apparently we have a photographer. Yeah. Well, that's what I said, no makeup this morning, but oh well, I went to bed with wet hair. <laughs> All right, we're going to go. We're about five minutes late, but that's all right. We're good. I've got my coffee. I'm going to take the chaos away. This is our chaotic mansion. Okay, and we're ready. You ready? Okay, and hold up, hold up. Got to actually press the button. <laughs> okay, well, you need to tell me when you're ready because we've still got the music. Four, three, two. Hey, Pip, have you seen this? What? Hey, Amanda, have you heard that? What? Hey, have you been there, Jacinta? You're listening to the live podcast from Shire Pod, and we are keeping you connected to the Sutherland Shire community with this brand new podcast coming from a cafe near you. And good morning, Sutherland Shire. You are listening to the Been There podcast, and I am your host, Pip Ray. And I am your host, Sarah Jo. And we'd like to thank you for tuning into the Podbean app today to listen to the live broadcast brought to you by the Sutherland Shire Podcast Station. We'd love you, we would love to know where you're listening from in the Sutherland Shire or around the world just by commenting via the app. I know, it's very, very clever. <laughs> now, the Been There podcast is bringing you the good news, entertainment, events, weather and local sporting events around the Sutherland Shire. But if you are listening to the replay of this podcast, don't forget to rate it, please. We've been speaking <laughs> about this. If you love what you're hearing, go on to iTunes because that's the only one that matters. <laughs> And rate it. You'll find us at Shire Pod. We know that you know when you cross those bridges over the Georges River and Alfred's Point or drive under the waterfall overpass, you're home. And despite everything that is going on in the world, this is where it's all happening. We acknowledge that the grounds from where we are broadcasting today is that of the Dharawal people and in particular a special place that is honoured and sacred to its caretakers of the wildlife, marine life and those residing here. We pay our respects and we'd like to thank Colonel for the warm welcome. The sun was looking amazing today. It's a beautiful morning. Today is episode nine and we are at the most furthest eastern point of the Southern Shire in a suburb known as Colonel. Aptly, we are broadcasting live from a popular cafe called Colonel 1770 Bakery and Cafe, owned by Kim, who will be joining us a little bit later, and sharing her story and the significance of the cafe name. Now, this is a community initiative brought to you by the Local Business Awards, who are recognising those businesses that provide excellent customer service going above and beyond. And the awards will be held this year sometime in November. So we just wanted to send a shout out to Love Your Kin, who is a personal beauty uh, salon, which has been servicing the area for 35 years. And speaking of the local business wards, the cafe we're in at the moment is a finalist. And should we give a shout out to some local businesses around town while yeah, we're at it? Yeah, we've got the Milk House. It's a, like a milk bar cafe, I guess, like reminiscent of what it was going on in the 70s, uh, of simpler times and reflective of the Colonel Village. <laughs> Diamond Point Hair and Beauty with clients who just love the small seaside salon overlooking Silver Beach. And, of course, it is complete home tuning, the professional car mechanics in Kernel. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit. We've got another five to go about uh, halfway through the broadcast, so we'll let people know who they are as well. Excellent. 
Now, we'd also like to thank SoShire because our co-host today is Sarah Jo. And uh, the reason that she's here is because she's a resident. And sure she's, am. <laughs> she's yeah, let me in. <laughs> and they're not letting you out. And uh, she's an awesome broadcaster. So we've brought her back in today to help share the love. We'd also like to thank Word Styler, our content creator, Purple Biz, Daydream Creative for our socials, who is online now uh, listening. So a big shout out to Amanda. We are looking fabulous on Instagram, I might add. Uh, Southside Local for their support. And we are encouraging people to join Southside Local because it's a great VIP membership. And uh, it's using the digital wallet technology. Um, and I saw that the Colonel Rec Club has actually had got an offer, $110 for an annual. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, okay. And we just want to send a shout out because we've also got Tanya Jones online this morning as well. And she was one of our guests last week. Good morning, Tanya. Thank you for coming on board early in the morning again. Now, the Being, pa- uh, the Being There podcast is showcasing those businesses and organisations and individuals that are making a difference during the time when people who actually need it. Are. And you can find out more of these about these creative businesses and community organisations in the show notes and our blog and our very, very new website, the Sutherland Shire podcast station.com.au. Now, Cornell is a suburb approximately 21.4 kilometres south of the CBD in the local government area of the Sutherland Shire in the division of Cook, along the east coast of Australia. It encompasses Kamei Bay. It's adjacent to the new suburb of Green Hills, as well as Cronulla and Woolaware. Now, apparently the postcode is 2231. That's Can you right. confirm that? Okay, yes, good. it is. And it's got a population of 2,267. Is that At you? last, I don't know. I was going to say, are, are, we, are we the six and seven? I'm not too sure. <laughs> For our international listeners, it's a location where Captain James Cook landed on the 29th of April, 1770, and the area is at the southern headland of Kamei Botany Bay National Park, with some of New South Wales' most significant heritage sites steeped in Indigenous history, with the Cornell Peninsula headland including the National Heritage Listing in 2004. That's right. And then we also got other features. People love to go on beautiful walks around here, which we'll be talking a little bit later about that. For example, you'll find the Cape Bailey Lighthouse along the Cape Bailey Track and Cape Salander, which we'll be featuring soon today in today's episode. It's going to be a massive episode. We have so many people on today's episode. We're just going to try and squeeze it all into the hour and five minutes. And whatever we can't fit in, remember, you can find a lot of information about Cornell and the walks in the National Park on the New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service pages. Yeah, now at this point, I actually do want to bring in Emma. And Emma Watts, because she is a local, um, and I recently saw that the Cornellians have their own Facebook page. We do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very special page. I got got accepted in. Can I just say I'm a bit excited because I feel like now I'm I'm welcome. You are. (laughs) And we're also going to bring in Jess as well. Jess Thorne is... Introduce yourself, Jess. So I, my name's Jess. I'm a local Colonel resident also. Um, I'm a bit of a serial volunteer, so I'm the secretary. <laughs> oh, what they call it? Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's official title. <laughs> Definitely. Good one for the business card. <laughs> um, so I am the secretary of the Colonel Precinct and Progress Residents Association. I'm also an Orca Wildlife Rescue volunteer and I'm also part of a group, a community response group called Wildlife Emergency Rescue. Okay, you win. (laughs) You win. You have the most volunteer titles I've ever heard. (laughs) She's overtaken you completely. (laughs) Got lots to do, lots to do. 
Now, I just, as we go through, I just want to – this is a popular cycle destination apparently. Talk to me about this because you are a bit of a fitness freak. I am. Instructor. I'm, I'm not one to hop on a bicycle, I have to admit. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean the, the road out here is beautiful to start with and then you get to this amazing destination um, and, the you know, the views are spectacular. We've got some amazing walks um, and, and, yeah, there's cycle lanes pretty much the whole way out so it's, it's a good spot to cycle out to. Yeah, now I know that they come from Bondi to Kurnell and they Wollongong. <laughs> To Kernel. Yes. So it seems to be this massive meeting yes. point. And I'm sure that Kim will be able to tell us exactly how many turn up here. <laughs> I'm sure she will. <laughs> Out the front. <laughs> now, this year's been really special because it's been the 250th year anniversary of Cook Landing and his eight days. Amazing <laughs> that he spent here. Um, have you got it? Like, what was that like? I mean, we, I know we were in lockdown, but what did that look like? Yeah, Kim's probably a great person and, and Jess, I unfortunately wasn't able to get <laughs> okay, to, the, to, to Jess the, um, the presentation and the, the commemoration, but Jess will definitely have some information. Yeah, unfortunately this year with COVID, it, it wasn't really able to go ahead in a public kind of way. There was a small ceremony, but it was kept very private and very small this year. So hopefully next year, COVID pending, we'll be able to do a much larger commemoration service. Yeah, and it's, it is pretty big anyway every year, isn't it? Like, don't they have like a, a, a lot of people come out there in that for that 29th of April? Yeah, they have an Indigenous ceremony. So, and then school children come we call it the meeting of the two cultures. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, what's that look like? Yeah, it's beautiful. We, we went out one year, um, yeah, and they, they have the traditional Indigenous ceremonies um, and then, you know, the, the paying respect to the elders um, and, yeah, the meeting of the two cultures. And it, it's a great way for the kids to learn about the history of the area too. There's also an event called the Kernel Village Fair that coincides with that time also, which is a usually a one-day event held in Martin Park. Um, so there's fair rides, uh, art show, and lots of different things going on there as well to bring it's the community stores. together. Yeah. And that's usually in April. So next year it's booked in. And it's Fingers the day after my birthday. That's can right. You can come. I'm going to come out here and stay the night. Excellent. <laughs> and speaking of that, so we normally have the carols too, which might be a maybe this year. So unfortunately, we didn't have the fair this year, but we'll be having it next year. If everyone, yeah. you know, I April put the next paperwork year. in. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and are you organising that as well? Uh, can I just say, are you on that committee? <laughs> yes, That's, I'm on that committee. And is it a volunteer position? <laughs> it is. And do you need any prerequisites to join? <laughs> no. <laughs> Turn up. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Captain James Cook did land here uh, 250 years ago, making their fir- his first contact with the inhabitants of the area known as the Gweagle Aborigines. Aborigines. Um, and he was actually navigating his way up the East Coast. So um, I just want to stop here and talk to you about our Shire History Walks because um, I've actually put a little bit of a sneak preview together of the audio, uh, which is going to be coming out in September. And basically, these are audio walks that the Shypod is producing to, so you can walk around and you can hear all the stories. And they're what in a their own. Fabulous idea. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And it's put on by the um, Sutherland Shire Historical Society. So I've teamed up with them and I've interviewed them and literally they, you can hear them talking in their own voice and it's a real account. So it's going things like um, the fires at Como 
we've covered everything um, out here from, you know, all the bushwalks. We've got some great people, but there's a special person that Sarah I and I know called Mr. Port Hacking himself, <laughs> George Godus. And this is the interview that I wanted to show. Hi, guys. Welcome to Shire Walks. I'm Tess Dow, a student historian from Sydney University. This is an interactive podcast about the history of the Sutherland Shire. For this episode of Shire Walks, we will be walking around the Kamei Botany Bay National Park at Kurnell. This area is perhaps most famous for the arrival of Captain Cook on the Endeavour in 1770. The interactions between the Aboriginal community and the crew of the Endeavour is often overlooked, but is an important part of the historical narrative and one that will be focused on for the duration of this tour. So, my name is George Codis. Um, I've lived in the Sutherland Shire, mainly on the shores of Port Hacking since uh, 1970. Came here in 67, but lived on the shores. And from that point on, um, being a person with a boating history and a sea history, I fell in love with the place. The, their footprint was light, but there were two things about their times here. Uh, one was a dreadful tragedy, um, which until recent times, it was it was reported a long time ago and given a bit of publicity, but it, it faded. There was um, an Aboriginal woman who um, was able to bring some of the oral history, which is how... Mm, Storytelling. Uh, yeah. And she told of this gathering of people on the shores of Port Hacking, they were coming to a, a, a meeting of people. They were coming from the Illawarra and um, they'd crossed Port Hacking and taken shelter under a rock shelf. Now, tragically, there was a lightning strike and the, the shock from the lightning strike and the thunder dropped the overhang onto the people who were sheltering underneath. Now, there, that had been told by a lady called Biddy Giles, an Aboriginal woman who had met this man, Goggley, the first European. And through her storytelling, they, they, the people believed that this had happened. And, and of course, another person, a European in the early history of Port Hacking, was building a boat shed for tourists at uh, Teruel Point. And he blasted away and then he found all his bones human bones and of course uh, it was investigated and it was 100% certain that this was the story. This is what Biddy Giles had passed to Goggley and to other people. Uh, it's a story told in uh, a lovely work by Kat, uh, Helen Cadzo. Uh, it's told in there also, um, but here it was, the bones. Now that is George Codis, who is an amazing historian and storyteller. I just love his deep voice. Uh, in that story, he's sharing um, a lot more in the podcast, so you'll just have to wait. <laughs> uh, it's a big shout out to Tess, our narrator, who uh, you know is using all her research skills. She's literally 22 and has just graduated, and she's doing, um, I think, her master's this year. Um, but she's helping me collate all these original stories uh, into an account so that other residents and businesses, you know, really get to know wow. the whole scale, the scope. Like it's like going back 200 years uh, and just pulling lots of stories in from everywhere. So it's been, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. We started in January. So um, just tell you about the book as well that we've got available. Uh, it is the called East Coast Encounters by Elizabeth Craig and it's also available here at Cafe 1770 and that's where we want to bring in Kim. 
How are you this morning? We're good. Good Lovely morning. Lovely to have you here. <laughs> um, tell us, how long have you been here and what's it like having a cafe in Kernel? It's very busy and uh, we've, we're coming up to two years old now, um, doing very well. Everybody's getting to know us. It is all about the destination and uh, we make everything here. So, except the bread, we get the bread in from Brasserie and we do all our cakes, pies, sausage rolls and gelato. So, it's, it's very busy. Yeah, well, I did have the chocolate brownie the other day. That was pretty sensational. <laughs> the big chocolate brownie. It was massive. It's like four square inches. <laughs> Wait till you, you for money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what's, what's the community like? Because you'd be getting a lot of those, you know, the locals coming in all the time. It's a very friendly community. Everybody seems to know each other or if they don't, they get to know each other by just conversing and um, fabulous walks around the local area. You know, I've got the, the walk along the beachfront now that council have just completed. Yeah. And all our statues that run out to the point. Um, quite amazing group of um, artists that have contributed to that. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we have um, a four-metre whale with the baby out on the rocks as you enter into the heads. Um, with a beautiful net casting to save people falling down a big hole. Apparently that was the most difficult casting of all. They, they did that three times. Um, Nick Pazizek and um, Ms... Uh, Alison Page. Page, yeah, that's right, Alison Page. Um, they did the canoes and the and the uh, and the ribs that uh, you see as you first approach the wharf. Mm. Um, they represent the ribs of a whale or the ribs of a boat. Oh, the, interesting! The whale was the Dreamtime mm, figure of, um, of the local group, and uh, yes, and we have Teresa Adler and Julie Squires who did whales and did a marvellous job of those too. I have met those too. Yeah, and is there a bit of story behind yeah, that? Yeah, I just thought I might just mention a few of the information behind it. So, Teresa and Julie designed and sculpted the whales in the canoes. The whale mother and calf formed with intricate engravings. And this is explained that they're based on Teresa's painting on her budbilly, a possum skin cloak. The story behind my budbilly is connected to the Sydney rock engravings of the mother humpback whale and her baby out at La Perouse on the shores of Botany Bay. This engraving is a prominent landmark from my ancestors who carved the rock and continues to hold cultural and spiritual connection to our sea and country. Then explaining the story about behind the canoes, the Guigal clan traditionally fished from stringy bark canoes. They lit fires in their canoes on the base of white clay and the firelight attracted fish to the canoe, making them easy to catch. During their first contact observations, both Cook and Banks recorded this practice. And the rock weave that Kim was talking about was completed in st- installed in the white whales. This woven fishing net was handmade by a re- Aboriginal master, Phyllis Stewart, and then cast into bronze by the sculptor, Julie Squires. And then Alison and Nick's The Eyes of the Land and Sea, the abstraction of the rids of the HMB Endeavour and the bones of the Quigal totem, the whale. So the whale is actually a totem of our local Indigenous. The artists work closely with researchers and to develop culture and historical content that has been etched into each rib. So you actually go have a look close up on the wow. rib. There's actually etchings and words from Captain Cook in there as well. Now, these describe those encounters at Kamei in 1770, inviting viewers to deeply engage with those diverse stories. It's about discovery, not discovery of land because it was already discovered, mm. but by, of all Australians, discovering our true history as we move together towards a more reconciled nation. So they're, they're stunning. Yeah. Photographers, we'll be talking to a photographer later. Yeah. Visitors, walkers, locals, visitors, 
they're beautiful. I and they're the little goosebumps. Yeah, I know. Yeah, very, they're very spiritual. If I sometimes like when I've walked out, you can't help but stop and take a big breath and just kind of think about how small we are in the world. Like mm. they're just very, yeah, there's something about them that the whale sculptures that are just, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. I was speaking to one of our interview um, Andrew and Wayne yesterday and yes. Wayne Whale, as they call him. Wayne Whale, yep. Um, it, and just the amazingness of them and how powerful they are. And, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, interesting, like just like two, two shakes and they're up out of the water, their little <laughs> tail. Like crazy to think that they're that strong. But, yeah, obviously they've had, and they've got a massive sort of impact around here as well. You, do you get a lot of the whale watchers out here? We do because the migration starts in May and heads up the coast towards Hamilton Island. Like pea soup up there when they <laughs> when they all get up there, and then they come back in September. So we're coming into September shortly. So you'll you'll probably see quite a lot of uh, passage of whales heading south because they go south for the summer for the krill. Yeah, well that's what I heard. They go north to breed yes. and south to feed. And the and the mothers <laughs> and the mothers don't feed for about three months. No, that's, on that journey, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so not me. <laughs> I'm never coming back as a whale. <laughs> Regardless of what you think on the well, beach. Not, not, not a mum, female whale, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to talk to you more about um, the area because um, you've been here for a while now. Uh, I think I'm still considered a blow-in. I know. You I've been here for 20 years. Oh, <laughs> then I've got, I've got a long way to go then, unfortunately. I know. It is a bit yeah. like that. But yeah. it, this, is a, this has been described as a really, by homely.com, a very safe and, fa- and family-friendly. Yeah. But... Um, Someone has also lived here for 23 years and never had a problem. Super friendly and, you know, amazing community. Yeah. So do you want to talk to us yeah, a bit about it, that? it is a beautiful community. We have two children, um, two girls, so 14 and almost 12. Um, and it's it's kind of one of those old-fashioned communities where the kids can go and play out on the street after school. Um, you know, they can, they can walk down to the post office and grab an ice cream. They can go and play on the beach. It's very safe. Or they can um, come to Kootenay Or they can come to Seventy Seventy. They can also work here. They can also work here, yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's just got that real kind of local feel and, you know, there's always someone that's willing to help out if you need a hand. It's usually Jess because she's helping everyone. <laughs> <laughs> she puts her hand up far she too does. often. She does. Um, yeah, I, look, we we have a lot of uh, services locally. We have a lot of support. Um, we won't get onto the, do- the the topic of the doctor, but we do need a doctor <laughs> if anyone's looking to set up a practice in Cornell. Um, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful place to live. I I'm English, if you can't tell from my accent, and it just reminds me of that kind of seaside village that you you can picture in England so yeah it's a it's a lovely place to live that's why we moved here is it's, it it's almost like the last chance of Sutherland Shire to have you know suburbia but also this beautiful community yeah and we're you know 30 40 minutes away from the city so it's kind of like we're in a village in a city yeah. um, so you've got the best of both worlds it'll be even sooner when the ferry goes on it will <laughs> will it it will <laughs> early 2022 the ferry will run from Kernel to La Perouse. And they will extend the light rail out to La Perouse. Wow. So how long will it take? Like literally another 40 minutes, do you think? Well, I think, I think it'll be probably a 10, 15-minute hop over to La Perouse and then probably 15, 20 minutes into the city. Fantastic. Leave the now, car behind, save the parking fee. It will. Now, what about summer? Talk to me about your summer because we did have this conversation earlier in the week. Summer is crazy. (laughs) 
because everyone suddenly realizes how wonderful Cornell is. Um, so yeah, summer's summer's very busy, as Kim will probably agree with. Um, there's lots of people coming and going. Um, traffic does get a little bit bonkers from time to time, but there's mm. been a lot of work done recently on you know the the new path and the road and and making it a little bit safer. Um, but yeah, that's I guess that's one of the the drawbacks of living in such an amazing place is that everyone wants to come and check it out. Mm. And has Green Hills affected it at all? Do you think? Um, I think so. Probably, I think probably Green Hills is closer to Cronulla. So, and they've you know they've got the beach right on their doorstep. So I guess they don't need to come here for the beach because it's there. Um, school wise, I guess Cronulla High School is going to grow as Green Hills grows, um, and maybe primary school too. I, I think I actually don't know what the catchment area is personally, but I think you can go to either Cornell or the local schools in Cronulla. And do you want to talk to us about the tornado? I'd rather not. No. <laughs> give us a bit because you were out here, so give us a bit yeah. of an insight yeah. as to what it went was, on there. It was a, and what's happened so a, far. We want to find out where everyone's up to. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy day. Um, it's. I was actually out of Cornell at work, and I could see the clouds coming from the city, um, and just thinking, "Oh my goodness, what's going on?" And then I think I got in the car and I heard on the radio, you know, the tornadoes hit Cornell, and in Cornellians, you know, there's a tornado, and you're just thinking, "This is crazy! Like we don't get tornadoes in in the Southern Shire," um, and. Then I remember, I mean, thank goodness for Facebook because it was actually a great way to keep in touch with everything that was going on. Um, a little bit of a scary way to find out what was going on as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the kids, the school did a fabulous job of, of making sure the kids felt safe and looked after. They obviously put them all into the classrooms, kept them safe, um, kept them distracted, which I think is really important when something like that is happening. Um, and then they, the kids got taken from the primary school to the local high school um, and parents were instructed that we could pick them up from there um, as we could get back in. And obviously at that point the road had been closed and it was residents only. Um, I remember having to wait at Cronulla Leagues Club for a while until we had clearance. And at that point it was really scary because the kids were at the high school or still at the primary school and we couldn't get in because the road was closed. Um, and then when we finally got in, just the just the absolute destruction, pretty much from Cronulla High School roundabout, um, was just, it was just some, like something out of a war scene. It was just horrendous. Um, and I know I said to you the other day, there's, I still know of people that have moved away from Cornell because driving into Cornell was too traumatic for them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty scary. Um, and then, obviously, that it was a week before Christmas. People had no power. People had lost all their food. The presents had been destroyed. I mean, some houses were completely flattened. Um, we were quite lucky. We're a street back, but even so, we were right in the path of the tornado. So we had, you know, it sucked the um, cover of our roof out so we got home and there was mud all up the windows the roof um inside had been kind of ripped apart um just yeah filthy filthy walls and it was crazy it was like it kind of sucked everything up and spat it out again um and then came the fight with the um <laughs> trying to get insurance companies to, oh. to i mean ours were amazing they they gave us emergency money to help with food in the short term um but then obviously other people had 
long battles with insurance companies. But there's just some stuff that you can't replace either. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. yeah. And, and that safety, knowing, and that's that's the, probably the biggest thing is for people that have grown up here and have been here their whole life and it is their, has always been their safe place, to then that's not their safe place anymore and driving home is traumatic. That's, that's yeah. hard to deal with. Because how long has it been now? It was, yes. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, December 2015. Yeah, nearly five years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Embedded in the I brain. I remember the date. Yeah. You were there too, Jess? Yeah. Do you want to talk to me about that? Give me your account. Well, I was home. <laughs> I'll try not to get emotional about it. Um, we're here. It was. Space, space. <laughs> oh, it's all coming back. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's what I mean. That's how powerful yeah. oh, it is. Wow. Five years later and trying to talk about it is still Yeah, I traumatic. was home with my daughter and it was just a bit windy and I sent a photo to my mum and a video of some palm trees out the front and said, oh, mum, look at this. It's so windy. And mum's just in Woolaware and she's texting me back, oh, yeah, it's windy here too, Jess. Don't worry. And then within... 10 minutes, it was like there was a train circling the house. And like Emma was saying, it really sucked everything in. So you felt the pressure change around you and the noise. And all I could think of was watching Twister when I was little. And I thought, oh my gosh. And just all the, everything that happened in Twister, it really, it kind of helped me in a way because I knew what was happening and I knew where to stand how to protect my daughter and my dog um, and kind of get through it. But then to see it it was completely dark and you could hear things hitting the house. You could hear just all the noise and not knowing what was going to happen. And I'm I'm very fortunate that my family at the time owned a, a very reputable roofing business and my dad had built my roof. So I felt pretty safe knowing that. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> because um, once once that pressure kind of lifted, the weatherboard started popping off the house. You could hear bits of the roof moving. And then as it kind of passed and moved on to the next street and the darkness kind of lifted, I could then see out my front windows and see that my neighbour across the road no longer had a roof her roof part of her roof was on top of my car the other part was at my front door so I couldn't get out and there was actually part of her front awning that was up a tree in the back of my house Um, and just to see like Emma said it was like a war zone it was absolutely unbelievable but following that it was incredible to see the community come together Mm. and that real village community that we've got here it was it was an incredible thing to witness. Everybody got together. People went knocking on doors, making sure that everyone was safe. There were a lot of power poles down, power wires, live power Well, what we thought were live power wires, mm. but then we realised that the substation had, had blown up, or not blown up, but blown apart. So, um, yeah, everybody was moved to, evacuated to the fire station and then another storm cell hit. So there was probably... Oh, probably a hundred people jam-packed into one room at the fire station, waiting for the for the storm cell to pass, and then we we're allowed to slowly go home. And yeah, as Emma said, the recovery kind of 
began. So, can I ask what's what's that conversation like when you're sitting in amongst a crisis like that? Like, there were a lot of tears. Yeah, there was a bit of screaming. Um, there was. I don't a, think it's until you're in that you yeah. realise. And but there was also a lot of quiet. Um, it, different people handle the stress of that sort of emergency very, very differently. So there were some people that just wanted to be still and block everything out and there were others that had to keep talking. <laughs> Wonder which one I was. <laughs> um, it was very different. Some yeah. people felt perfectly fine, just wanted to get home, wanted to start sweeping the debris ab- away and others wanted to just get home and crack a beer. Others wanted to just get out and never come back. Yeah. So the... A lot of healing has happened in the last five years and it's been beautiful to see the beautification of the area as a result of that heartache that we all went through. Um, People have taken the opportunity to renovate their houses, put fresh paint on and kind of get rid of that yuckiness that happened. Um, and what is it? What is it for you? Because I can see, like, I know that it's affecting you. But what is it for you? Is it that uns- like that unsafe feeling, like Emma's talking about? Or? For a long time, it was. Every time it got windy, I couldn't concentrate, um, and I would be stressing, especially if it was windy at night, because the fear for me was, on that day, I could see it coming, so I could go around and close the windows and make sure my family was safe. But at night, when it's dark. You can't always, you don't always know. So I, uh, yeah, I spoke to people about it, which was very healing for me. Um, and I got help to get me through that. And I, I'm pretty good now. My yeah. husband did something strange and booked me on a trip overseas into the wilderness. <laughs> I, but it, it really helped because yeah. I had no choice but to face my fear because I was in a tent with six strangers in the wilderness in Canada, couldn't escape on a little island. We only had kayaks. It was very bizarre. But you had me worried really for helped. a moment. I thought you were going to say you booked you somewhere where there was tornadoes. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> deep no. South. I know, know that's some deep kind south, of therapy yeah, for yeah. phobias, but I, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. But oh. I have actually moved since, moved, still in the village, um, but I've moved, but I did heal before moving. Yeah. That's, yeah, well, thank you for sharing because I know that that's, uh, it's tough and I think that you've shown a real resilience to be able to come back and, and talk about it and, and say now that you're okay because I think that's yeah. what a lot of us want to know is that everybody's okay. Yeah, a resilient community. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, our, our trampoline was found about five houses away, literally picked it up and moved it. Yeah, there were it eight crazy. trampolines found in Botany Bay. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Brett went diving and the amount of stuff that we saw in the water that was coming from everybody house, everybody's houses, it was just amazing. We Obviously, we weren't living here at the time, so it took a long time before visitors were allowed in and it was just... Yeah. I can only imagine what it would have looked like during and after and then when visitors allowed in, it was, you know, a mess. Yeah, well, I know that one of the interviews, spot. Andrew, who's, who we're hearing from later, mm-hmm. um, talked about that, how it was completely calm. That he had new blokes that had gone under the water um, during, on that day for a dive and it was beautiful and calm and he comes up and goes, what the <laughs> hell happened while we were away? So it was, yeah, very interesting times. But you want to talk a bit more about the locations Well, here? I was going to say, you know, they're some of the cons of living in right on the, you know, ocean in our beautiful area that we are, surrounded by our national park. Bit of a segue here, but let's talk about 
some beautiful things about the community here. We have Emma, so I probably would like to, this is a really good time to talk about Emma what is the daisy chain? <laughs> what is the daisy chain? Um, so I set the daisy chain up about three years ago. I had been teaching, strangely, some people think, teaching Zumba, chair-based Zumba in aged care facilities, um, which always raises an eyebrow too because people don't necessarily put the two things together. Um, but it just saw a huge need for more fun and music and movement in aged care. Um, it originally started because <laughs> my two girls said to me, what are we going to do these school holidays coming up to Christmas holidays? And I said, well, I'm going to be teaching. And they very sarcastically said, do we have to go to a nursing home every day? And I said, we don't have to, but why don't we challenge ourselves to go to a different aged care facility every day for 30 days? over the holidays. So that's how it started. At that point, it didn't have a name. It didn't have anything other than uh, an idea of a bit of a challenge. I like to set challenges for myself and my children. Um, So yeah, we we visited a a nursing home, an aged care facility every day for 30 days. The girls kept a bit of a record. Um, They would do things like, you know, little concerts, little dances, play the clarinet, play bingo. Um, Sometimes it was just five minutes. Sometimes it was an hour. Sometimes they would just sit and hold the hand of a resident who was in a bed and couldn't necessarily join in. As a result of that and spending a lot of time in aged care facilities for my classes, I just, yeah, I just saw a huge need for more music and movement and fun and vibrancy and crazy zany energy for aged care. Um, So I set the daisy chain up with the purpose of providing entertainers and instructors to aged care facilities. Wonderful. It's end. I've met you through Zumba. You yeah. also run Zumba for non-nursing home. <laughs> Slightly coordinated Canalians. Slightly coordinated. Yeah, we we I actually started my Zumba journey in Cornell. My very first class was on a summer's day where we had 45 people in the guide hall. Wow. Where we're now having about oh, pre-COVID, eight. Yeah. <laughs> pre-COVID, yeah. There days? was no room to move. It was forty-three degrees and it was hideous. Um, and I think maybe ten of them came back because it was so hot. Um, and every, and it was kind of when Zumba had just started, and everyone was like, "What is this? What are we doing?" Um, so yeah, so taught classes out here for probably the last eight years, nine years. Uh, had a little bit of a hiatus um, and have just after a lot of public pressure uh, from <laughs> someone who is sitting at this table, um, decided to resume uh, um, one community class a week, so on a Wednesday night. Um, yeah, it's just fun. It's and everyone's fun. welcome. Everyone is welcome. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you've never done it before, yep. if you've – if yeah, anyone can join in. It's a bit of fun. Any size, any age, any fitness level. Absolutely. Emma's very, very good at coordinating and giving people – different moves if they've got an injury or they're unable to do particular moves and I think as a as a musician Emma is very very good at cueing you so you <laughs> you feel it's a safe environment thank you that's that's always been my goal is so that anyone that comes to a class walks out feeling like they can do it um, I don't I'm not a dancer by any means as you said Jess I am a musician so I get the music um, and my whole thing is just about doing what you can when you can with what you've got. So if you have got an injury, 
then we'll find a way around it. If you're not coordinated, it actually doesn't matter. It's just about moving and having fun and, and a giggle. And it's actually... And a giggle. It's good for a giggle. <laughs> There's a lot of giggling. Yeah. It's actually a really safe place. Um, over the time of teaching classes, I've just made some most amazing friends and, and some amazing connections through the, the class. And everyone kind of looks out for each other. And if someone doesn't come one week... You know, we'll check in to see if they're okay. So it's check in or hassle them. Oh, hassle. Depends <laughs> which way you look at it. Um, it's it's about more than the the class. There's there's more to it than just dancing for an hour. And also, in at Easter time, you did a special activity for the <laughs> local community. We did. Um, we, my daughter, <laughs> my poor children, <laughs> my daughter had started making um, origami bunnies, so little paper bunnies, and then we decided because COVID had hit um, and it was hard for visitors to get into aged care facilities, we decided that we would set ourselves a challenge and a challenge to the local community, the Southern Shire community, to make a thousand origami bunnies um, that we would then deliver to local aged care facilities with little messages of just to send a bit of love and joy over Easter. So we cracked our limit of a thousand. Excellent. Um, (laughs) And then unfortunately, some of the facilities said we can't take them because we're not actually allowed to take paper because of COVID. COVID. Um, so even though they were sanitised and they were put into plastic bags and they were the little bunnies were quarantined, um, we now have a box of bunnies. So they're ready to go for next Easter where they'll be sanitised again. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was really lovely for the kids to feel like they'd initiated something. And I had people approaching me from all over the Shire saying, I've got a bag, um, you know, I've made 200, I've made 50, my kids have made 10 each. Um, it was just beautiful. It was. It was. I thought it was a really good activity that I probably should mention. And if we can't hand them back out, you know, next Easter, it'll probably be great for decorations or some, some community yeah. event. A thousand bunnies I was going to say, if somebody needs a paper bunnies, you know who to, who to call, who, who to get in contact with. And you're really good friends with Jess. And I know from personal experience you go on lots of beautiful bushwalks in our area. We do. So she's Ranger Jess, I refer to her. She's actually not a ranger, but she I'm could not. be. I, that was my dream job growing up. I wanted to be Ranger Stacey. <laughs> well, you're Ranger Jess to Ranger me. Je- so I think this is probably a good time to talk about our beautiful real-life whales. We talked about our whale sculpture, but our beautiful whales that are doing the migration down south at the moment, they're starting. And you're part of ORCA. What does ORCA stand for, Jess? <laughs> oh, you do? No, sorry. Did I put on? Did you, did you, want to read that? Yeah, yeah. you know, there's like, there's okay, how about you know, and then when somebody I asks you how to spell something, so it's the Organisation for Rescue and Research of Cetaceans good Australia. Girl, Is that correct? Good did I get it? Yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't even read it. Yay, me. So, um, as part of ORCA, I'm, uh, I did a rescue course about learning how to care for marine mammals that have hauled out or stranded or having a bit of trouble and need some human intervention or protection. So not always intervention, but more often than not, um, it's just making sure that they have a safe space away from dogs or people or anything that that could further endanger them. Um, As part of ORCA, I this year have joined the East Coast Whale Migration Study, which 
here in the Southern Shire is located at Cape Solander here in Kurnell in the Kamei Bay National Park. So in that you can, as a volunteer, I can choose to do whichever hours and days that I like in during the migration. So from this year it was... I think about the 24th of May that we started this year and we finished up the Northern Migration Study this year on the 31st of July. During that time, there was about 18 active volunteers at this location and from sunset to sunrise, most days, there was somebody sitting up there counting the whales. So um, we check the what direction the whales are going. We check try and uh, check which species they are, if they have any particular identifying markings or colourations. Um, we, Wayne also spotted an entangled whale this year and then was able to call through to the orca hotline and get some assistance for that whale and he tracked it until uh, the whale entanglement team could intercept and help that whale. So it's it's been really, really interesting. It's something I think you've got a, um, a recording from Wayne to discuss that. We do, we do coming up. I think this is probably a really good time to mention the rescue hotline for orca. So even though we talk about cetaceans, it's also for their relatives. So what I mean by that, we're talking about whales, dolphins, seals, dugongs. If you see them in our local area, the hotline to call is 0294153. Three 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 three. So I'll just say that again, zero two nine four one five and then four threes. Now what that is about is we like you to leave the animals alone. So don't try to push them back into the water. Or throw water or at throw them. water at them. Core orca and they will get a volunteer out there to assess and then we'll go from there. Now I think I'll really like to mention this particular year's statistics that Jess was involved in. So orca has a census and what that means is on a particular day in the migration, all around the east coast, people sit there, volunteers sit there and take the data for that day. So there's data being taken all through the season but on that particular day there's definitely everybody at each spot taking that. And the total east coast of Australia count was 2,589 humpbacks in one day. And just off Cape Salander, we had 64 humpbacks, 10 dolphins and a seal. So that was just on the Sunday 28th of June 2020. Um, Orca is a non-profit, so please donate. One big thing to note, it's all volunteer. It's all volunteer. So a huge shout out to Lisa, Jules, Wayne and all of the Orca volunteers. There are places in Queensland and Western Australia as well. And we're going to, before I mention anything more about the whales and the East Coast migration study, we might hear from Wayne. Basically, it was started in 1997. Um, I was actually in Orca at the time and we were planning on, um, they were planning on doing uh, a survey of whales up in, of the humpbacks up in uh, Port Stephens. And uh, in the area I was in, um, so I basically decided, oh, I'll, I'll start having a look out at um, Kernel And um, a National Park Wildlife Officer out there uh, used to see me all the time sitting out there on my own, and he just came up one day and asked, uh, what was I doing? And um, I just told him, oh, I'm just doing a little pilot to see if I can um, see whales off the, off the coast here. And um, I was starting to see a fair few going through, and uh, he said, would you like to do uh, actual uh, proper research not an actual research, but a proper 
uh, account with um, for, for the national parks. And um, yeah, we sort of said, yeah, no problem. And uh, we did that nineteen that ninety seven was a sort of like a pilot research, and then we officially began the uh, Cape Slander Whale Watch in uh, nineteen ninety eight. The population out now is around about thirty five thousand for the east coast. Uh, we don't see that many um, naturally because of uh, the time frame. We only we only used to do a 12-hour time frame, so we'd do from, say, about half past six in the morning till about half past five at night. So um, just off um, Cape Slander, there's a Ports Authority ball called, uh, boy called the Wave Rider, which uh, judges all the uh, wave heights and swell heights for, uh, the, for the ports of Sydney. And um, they've got one in Manly, and there's another one further up, up the coast, a little bit further up. Uh, and um, they're permanently uh, moored uh, sort of wave, wave sensors. And um, whenever the waves, uh, whenever the whales went past the um, the buoy, we um, count and um, basically all the whales were coming head on at us from the south and southeast, and uh, we just tracked them up the coast. And uh, even though we might have seen fifty, they wouldn't, we wouldn't count them all. If um, any of the whales didn't go past that buoy, we didn't count them. They're not family, not they're not family orientated. Uh, well, one of the main things to understand is a lot of people. Um, say 20 years ago, didn't even realise uh, that there was a, uh, a massive migration going right at their doorstep. Very few people, unless you actually were working on the water, actually knew about it. And even then, they probably saw a whale and didn't realise it was happening every day. I sort of came to the idea when they were doing the uh, pilot study that, well, if the whales were all up there, they had to get up there. So um, they must have been coming past us somewhere. That's how we all sort of, how it all started. Humans are the biggest threat. Um, some of the big threats now, um, everybody loves taking krill oil tablets. And uh, at the moment, uh, the ships down in Antarctica are, are scooping up all the krill with big vacuum ships. And unfortunately, the one type of uh, krill we're hunting is the one that, uh, that they're going for are the ones that the uh, humpbacks eat. And it's not only affecting the humpbacks, it affects a lot of uh, little birds that eat the krill. Uh, it starts wrong well, with krills, basically, the start of the food chain. So you've got You've got humpback whales, which are the biggest animal in the world, eating the smallest animal in the world. But apart from humpbacks, you've got blue whales. So all any whale that's a baleen whale, what we call filter feeders, anything that actually eats krill is going to be affected. So you've got blue whales, minke whales, and um, you know, broody, any, any kind of whale that has baleen uh, is going to have a problem. And not only the baleen whales, you've got, we've actually also got seals. Uh, there's a seal called a crab eater seal, totally weird name, but uh, crab eater seals actually eat krill. It also runs down the whole line. Uh, you've got, you know, it starts, you know, the fish, it goes right up the whole food chain, right from, you know, small fish that eat the krill and and uh, it's, it goes up and it's actually affecting everything. Um, well, mainly the, just the, their habits. It's actually, um, you know, polluting the ocean. It's, it all comes back to humans again. Uh, people leaving their rubbish lying around, like the plastics, uh, you know, anyone leaving, you know, puts anyone who just lets their stuff flow down the gutters, all the, any kind of, any paint, chemicals, any sort of poisons, anything that goes down sinks, that uh, it'll eventually has to go into the ocean. And people like leave their plastic lying around outside in garbage bins that gets blown around. Everything always manages to get back to the ocean. One of the other bigger killers are to uh, people letting balloons go, the big helium balloons. Um, that's one of the... One of the pretty bad things too, we see a lot of the balloons out to sea and it, it can affect the humpbacks because, and, and all whales as well because uh, they actually, a lot of them see the balloons or plastic, they only see it like jellyfish and, uh, you know, everything from turtles 
anything that eats anything in the ocean uh, generally has plastic. And there's actually supposed, and they reckon in uh, maybe 20 years' time, there'll be actually more plastic in the ocean than, that, than what there are fish. That is bad. So basically it's humans um, that are the problem. Oh, well, I mean, having whales actually come up to the boat to actually interact with you, that's been one of the best. You know, they'll sit there and the whale watchers are watching the whale and the whale's watching the whale watchers, and you do see a response from them. Um, so, you know, it is, you know, the thing is you've got such a massive animal that, you know, if wanted to, you know, it could, you know, rip your boat apart and, you know, it could cause you a lot of problems and, and they're, they're totally gentle. Um, they've got no, there's no sort of ill feeling to a human at all. You know, they, they're just so gentle. Even I do, um, will have until COVID, uh, I go swimming with whales in Tonga and even then, you know, you get in the water with them and they're so accepting of you being there, you know, they could go past you and just, you know, they could kill you one hit with just, just a, a slight swab of the tail and they don't do it. They just sit there and they're quite accepting of you in, in their home. And you've also got the ships. I mean, we all, we're all hypocritical. We all, all get our, our fuel and our, all our your commercial, you know, all our commercial stuff comes in via ship. And sometimes those ship rupture, uh, you know, they, they hit, hit uh, containers or they, uh, you know, storms knock containers off ships. Uh, they get damaged. Um, ships, you know, they go near the reefs and break open when they run on the ground and spill oil. So you've got all the oil pollution. So there's, that's right, you know, there's got a big problem with one in Mauritius at the moment on the reef. And, um, yeah, it's all sorts of things. I mean, even, even to, um, you know, the mining companies are wanting to start drilling for oil in the water. You know, they're doing seismic testing. Um, all the sonic blasts also, uh, they have an effect on animals that need their hearing. And, of course, if they can't he hear each other to communicate, they also use hearing for, for capturing, like for tracking food. And if they can't do that, um, they're all going to you know, pretty well cop a, a slow death from starvation. Now, that is a reality check for a lot of people at the moment about what's happening on our planet and community. But we want to bring hope and we hope that in the last eight weeks, our Been There podcast has showed you the resilience of individuals and the power of community because I was really privileged to speak to a lot of people this week, thanks to Sarah Jo, um, including Ruth from the Wildlife Emergency Rescue, who also knows Jess. That's right. <laughs> Jess, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Wildlife Emergency Rescue? And I see you've brought some props with you today. Yes. Yeah, so. This Let was started. This Hold on. Okay. <laughs> so the wildlife emergency response was started by Ruth and Lisa. Lisa is also, coincidentally, she is the president of Orca, um, and she's known Ruth. I, they, they work on the East Coast Migration Project together as well, and really wanted to do something for the people affected by the bushfires. Um, a lot of carers had a lot of animals coming in and didn't have the resources to be able to look after them because they were so overwhelmed. So we've got some wonderful, wonderful people in our community. We had hundreds of people donate um, cotton and sheets and even someone donated a sewing machine to this group and it's all community-based, no money exchanges hands, everybody just working together to make these beautiful little things. So I've brought some little pouches. So this is a little, uh, this could be used for joeys or any little creatures. So they pop them in there and then if, you know, 
Imagine, they, can I just say, I'm a sewer, and I'm going to say that this is, beautiful. you know, quality. This is like a, you know, French seam. Hello. <laughs> These particular <laughs> ones. <laughs> yeah. That Wow. These ones amazing. were made by Robin, who just lives in Caring Bar. Robin has made 1,200 of these pouches. She's wow. absolutely incredible. She just sits at home and bods away and gets these out and they're, they're all going out to carers. So Ruth and I were actually packing up a package uh, heading down the coast tomorrow and it's really, really fantastic. So these are, are really utilised. So if you're sitting at home and just feeling a little bit helpless with what's going on at the moment and just want to do something, jump on Facebook, check out Wildlife Emergency Response and send us a message and we'll we'll help you get involved because even if if you're not a sewer, like I, I'm i not in, uh, yeah. I would lo- <laughs> you're love everything, to be able, you're everything else, I would Jess. love to be able to sew, but <laughs> I just don't really have the patience at the moment. But, cut cutters. But I can cutters. cut. So my mum and I spent yeah. an hour cutting patterns the other day mm-hmm. and we just cut these out and they've gone to um, another uh, another a, a sewer in Menai last night who has sewn them up and they'll head out to the carers. It's so fantastic. it's a really great way of, of getting involved and being able to do something for someone else, which there, there are so many wonderful people in our community that, that are doing great things at the moment. Wouldn't it be amazing if local schools could come on board for cutting? Because you've, you've always got those kids that don't necessarily want to go out and run around at lunchtime and play football on the field. They actually like to sit and do, you know, little activities. So maybe that's something. If there's any teachers, um, <laughs> not me, um, who, you know, want go some, on here. Yeah, who want some <laughs> activities for kids that like to do, you know, craft and those kind of things in their textiles, breaks. Yeah, textiles, textiles, anything. Yeah. Maybe we can Feels, yeah, get that's some a, schools That's involved. a really great suggestion. Thanks, Emma. That... If anybody wants to be involved, send us through a message. We actually had an order of 100 of these liners the other day, 100, and we need needed to get them done in four days. So that's it is something that's really needed coming into spring. And don't want to put you on the spot again, but there was a particular <laughs> storage yes, facility <laughs> in yes. Southern Shire that Kirawee. has... Kennards at Kirawee has been absolutely incredible. Mike is an absolute legend up there. He's been helping us out. And it's just beautiful to go into a facility like that and see Mike. He's always friendly, always smiling, always cracking a joke. He's really lovely and we really, really appreciate their support. Excellent. Right. Well, we want to thank you, guys, for coming along and um, and sharing your stories today. Thank you. Um, and just to segue out of that, I also want to thank thank Sarah because this week she was um, been nominated as a finalist in the Woo-hoo! Westfield Hero Award, uh, which is just a, a, an amazing award because she's been recognised for the great work that she does in the community. Now she's rolling her eyes at me <laughs> and and chuckling like, no, not the attention on me, but me. <laughs> um, so I'd like to acknowledge um, you, Sarah, for doing such a great job and coordinating this 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 week's interviews. Um, we've been managed to get about six or seven people in. Um, it's a full. It's ep. a full on epic, and we've got lots of interviews to play as well. But basically, you are the most well deserved, passionate, and compassionate, and also a bit of a realist which we like uh, when it comes to creating change and protecting and preserving our environment. So we hope that you win. We'll all be voting and we want all the shy podians to vote as well. Thank um, you, so where can they go? Okay, so if you go to 
Westfield Miranda's website, there is a click through. Also, if you check um, Soshire Socials, we'll have the link. It's actually a link in our profile from the 1st of September because at the moment our links are directed to our reusable local business competition, which it's the August competition, which will end on the 1st of September. So from the 1st of September, there'll be quite easy click through. But just a quick recap of what that is about. That's raising money for Soshire. So that there's out of the six finalists, three people will win. Yep. So have a look. Have a look at the Westfield Miranda local heroes. Um, and just to clarify that, every Westfield Centre has their own six finalists. Yeah. So you can vote for other yeah, and we, local we've heroes. Had, we've had other heroes on the show. We've had Brooke from um, Kingsway Care and I think it was Rob Cook as well. He was nominated this year That's as well. Right. So or last year he was a winner. So it was, yeah, it's, and, and it's worth $10,000. So That's what right. would $10,000 do for So Shire? People don't realise it's a volunteer organisation and resources cost money. And what our courses and everything that we do costs money. So it will be funneled into our school programs and our business programs. Mainly it's about getting into the schools and helping them to reduce waste and be more sustainable. And then that means we also have some money to do bigger things than what we've been doing. Well, can I talk to you about what happened last week? Last week was a really big week. Now, mm-hmm. in, you came to speak to us at Vitalo with all your scientists at the table. <laughs> I felt very inadequate, but it was so interesting. And then last week you put on this massive production for National Science Week. How did that go? It was amazing. It was huge. It was a, te- not a technological feat. It was amazing. <laughs> we had cords and everything. But we, you know, it was the Abyss Project with Plastic Oceans Australia live dive. So it's a virtual dive, but it was live at Lilypilly and you know we went from being underneath the water and we saw about 27 different sea species and then we'd be able to talk above the land and we talked a little bit about the plastics issue in our local waters it was it was amazing you know we had so many students engage and you can re-watch that on YouTube Mm. There is a worksheet if schools or at home students are interested in. So from, you know, early learning centres up to secondary, please get involved. Yeah, my daughter was actually watching it on Thursday. She came home and said she actually went underwater from her <laughs> classroom and it was really engaging. Like they were just, uh, yeah, amazing. So it's amazing what our technology can do. That's right. And it can bring us to you live. That's right. You know, over the Podbean wet. app. That's yeah. right. That's right. Now, just joining us are some other locals. Uh, we've got Jeremy. Of Stage Kings and we've Australia. got Carolyn. And Carolyn is from, well, it's I Love Kernel, but now you've also changed it to Kernel Today. Is uh, that correct? I Love Kernel on Facebook. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, no, I changed it back. Um, I really, I followed I Love Cronella when I first started. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's just had a morning of taking photos did you get out there this morning as you normally do yeah sure did and i took you girls as well <laughs> i'm sure they'll be on the social pages as soon as she's finished here she's oh, very quick oh there you go see <laughs> excellent so check out those pages on facebook and instagram we might think this is a really good time to talk to jeremy we, you know, we try to avoid covid because we've been talking about covid a lot but so i think let's start with who is Stage Kings Australia? It's a local canal business. Yeah. That's where your factory is. What it was before COVID, what it is during COVID and how you've pivoted. I know everybody hates that word, but I still think it's a good word. It's what's <laughs> happened and what you think, you know, for f- the future. Yeah, we get well, through COVID. firstly, thanks so much for having me here this morning. It's 
great to be in our our, our little town. Uh, so Stage Kings, that's right. We we build uh, stages and uh, structures for for big scale events around the country. We events like uh, we, we we did the opening ceremony for the Commonwealth Games in 2018, and uh, Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. We've built around the place as well. So we, we've we've uh, we've we've Built some very big stuff. The Ninja Warrior set is another thing we do. So we were we were travelling on along nicely. We we're five five year old business and uh, doing some amazing things. And then of course COVID hit uh, and put a stop to all public gatherings. We were in Melbourne doing the doing the Grand Prix uh, stage for Miley Cyrus and Robbie Williams and and the Prime Minister put a, a hold on all public gatherings, yeah. which is everything we do. So we had 23 staff at the time and, and we had to work through uh, what we could do with those guys. We were going to have to let them go. Uh, and so uh, over the period of about a week, we, we thought of everything we could still do. And so we, we then had this brainwave to make work-from-home office furniture, yeah? the very simple uh, office furniture that uh, everyone was now working from home, whole industries of people that were now at home. So uh, we, we uh, very luckily, our head of production, Mick Jessup, he is a furniture designer <laughs> as a hobby and he hobby. does a, an amazing job of it. And, and so we, we very quickly and within 48 hours of the idea turned around, made some, uh, some desks and uh, and had them live on on a new e-commerce site. So the ISO desk is that the what you ISO call it? desk. Yeah, so we, we call it we call the new furniture range the ISO King range. ISO King. Uh, <laughs> and and so we we now have over forty products five months later. Uh, and and the the great thing is we've been able to bring back event crew to work. So so down here in Cornell now we have over seventy people working on building furniture. Uh, in five months we've wow. sold over sixteen thousand pieces of furniture, which is, is blows our mind. Uh, and and from that, we're also donating ten dollars from every desk sale to Support Act. So uh, Support Act's the organisation that's supporting the events and music industry. So the heart and hand of, of Australian music, and uh, and and very uh, fortunately, we've been able to donate over fifty thousand dollars wow. to those guys uh, in five months. So. We're, we're really uh, COVID's a horrible time, but we're really happy with what we can, what we're doing, and and yeah, we're and and saving everybody's kitchen tables and dining yeah. tables becoming little <laughs> home offices and getting scratched and mine still does. You know, I know, I know, <laughs> but you know they're beautiful. If everybody check them out on Instagram and Facebook because the images are beautiful. Even things like the shelving racks that you've done. Was there a shoe rack? Yeah, we, so yeah. we we ask. Uh, we've got we've, we're now reaching two hundred fifty thousand people every week uh, through social media. So we're actually asking people what they need, what issues they have around the house. Shoe racking is a big thing. People <laughs> want to tidy up in, while they're at home. So yeah. we've uh, we, we we're, it's community led now. Uh, what we're building. So. If enough people ask, we build it. And puzzles, because that was big. Wow, yeah, <laughs> puzzle boards is huge. And and uh, I don't know if you, we were on Better Homes and Gardens the other night, and okay. they, they featured the puzzle board quite heavily. So yeah. this week we've turned out nearly five hundred of those things. So well, yes, yeah. I, so this is the thing I had never heard of Stage Kings Australia, and then COVID, and then everywhere. Yeah, popped up my feed. Scomo's <laughs> visiting. Better Homes and Gardens <laughs> are visiting. Yeah, exactly. And did you also, you also make the screen? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well. Yeah, the sneeze guards. We, we've been doing a lot of those things for businesses and and uh, office office buildings. So that's that's a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, and I hate to put you on the spot because I probably should have asked you just in case you forget. But I also, you know, obviously I do plastic free stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm so shy, and I saw a post about where you were putting your waste. Yeah, we're 100 percent sustainable. We we uh, we're using sustainable birch plywood, which yeah. is fast growing and sustainable. We're also recycling 100 percent of our, our offcut. So that's right. Everything goes to another Australian uh, uh, manufacturer here called Borg. That's it. They then that's chop it. that up and make other timber products, and and so everything's recycled. 
They're beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I love what I love what a community can do and how mm. forward thinking we are because, you know, it's gotta go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of thinking off the top of my head, what made you choose Colonel to have your factory? It was close to home. Close to home, yeah. <laughs> not, not, Easy. Many, not many of the other guys are that close, but uh, for, for me it was perfect. And yeah. I love it here. Yeah. It is. It is. It what, is. what do you love about it? What's, the, what's oh, your favourite? Look at this morning. It's uh, walking down here along the, along the waterfront. It's just magic. And the National Park and you know, looking at some of these I love Colonel photos, you can see why anyone would want to come here. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty inspiring. That would get me out of bed every day actually, having yeah. to, knowing that you could go and see that live every morning. Absolutely. Yeah. There's some um, sunrises and sunset photo offs. Yeah. <laughs> I watch the social media page like, whoa. It's the new Bailey Whaley wall, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> isn't that what we call yeah. The Bailey Weather wall was that's now right. the Bailey yeah, yeah. Whaley that's wall. Right. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Are we good to oh, go? No, I was just going to ask, Carolyn, is there anything about Cornell that you would like to mention? Because you've been here for – or actually, how long have you been in Cornell for? Uh, since 1945. Wow. <laughs> That's a big – actually, okay, so we might have to get you on our history That's podcast. That's right, exactly. Telling last stories. Night, last night, you know, I was trying to read through the books to catch up on, you know, the history. Yeah. That I might, and I just went, don't bother. Why? She's here. She's here. Tell us what the biggest change has been. The biggest change? I can't see the Harbour Bridge, bridge anymore. Wow. That's been wow. for a, quite a while. Yeah, when I was a child, we could see quite a bit of the Harbour Bridge. So that's from build-up of the buildings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. But I, I'm actually loving the casino. Um, a lot of people <laughs> don't like it, but for my home, it really looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And yesterday, the sun was hitting a crane on the top tip of it yep. just as it came up, and it just looked like a candle. People call it other rude names. but <laughs> Photographer's perspective, <laughs> how the light glimmers on the crane. Uh, positive no, thoughts. Positive. No, I, I was thinking about today and I was thinking, I can remember how excited my mother was to cook scones in an electric oven. There was no electricity. We had uh, no town water, no electricity, no sewerage, only a dirt track to Cronulla. Yeah. The ferry when it ran. It was pretty basic. That's but you know, awesome, yeah, we, we were really all happy and, and the whole thing for me, and I still have it now as an older person, yeah. is a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. I can go out to Solander and take my photos. I never feel fearful. I mean, sometimes you've got to be careful. But, but as the others said, the children can ride their bikes around and it's just a free place and generally people are tolerant. Yes. Um, a lot of people, new people, want to improve things to their modern ways but basically we're, we're all pretty tolerant yeah that's what i noticed mm. when we moved in i loved it. i watched all the kids bike riding yeah you know in the afternoon or watch them they come home from school and they go for a swim after school and I great, it's yeah. just yeah it's such a, a great and have you got some great friends out here as well like have you found that there's a real well no i don't <laughs> oh. um i had a, i was at a class of five Oh, wow. Right. For the school? At, in a one-room school here. And wow. all three, three of them have died. Oh. Um, yeah, and they were all boys. And, so, and I, my children didn't grow up here and I didn't live here in those years. Uh, I had a weekender here, but I didn't live here. I love the idea of a weekender. What did that look like? Because they were a little well, sort of shacky things, It's a pretty they? long story, but my parents Keep had... Keep it short then. Well, my parents <laughs> came from... Um, Pannington to camp up here in the park and them and a friend saw an old house for sale so they both jointly bought the house 
and it was divided in two. And ultimately we bought one half, so we had one half of it. And we used that as a weekend. Fantastic. <laughs> and it would have been beautiful too, just... Oh, no, it was a terrible old house. No, no, like the perspective here, they wouldn't have had the, you know, the build-up that they've got now where you've got your... Well, I think there was 300 uh, in those days. Yeah. yeah. Really tiny little village. And I love the Cornelian page because everyone's posting all the old pictures oh. from years and years ago. So, there's a Sutherland Shire historical group too are posting a lot of good old that's photos. Right. Yeah. And, you know, talking about, you know, people have passed on. I think that's why it's very important, you know, what you're doing with Shire yeah. history. We need to preserve it now. That's so right. That, um, my kids can listen to it because I, I, my, both my grandparents have passed on but we've got their stories. Um, from when they came here in the 1950s. They were the 10-pound pomp. Well, so, yeah, yeah, they moved over to Sutherland at the Grand Parade. And so, you know, it's just amazing how it's transformed. And then they moved to Bundi, um, to what's the one down at Baronia? Yeah. And they could see the water. But now you can't see that. <laughs> like it's all overgrown. Like it's just completely different space. But, yeah. We need, we need a lot of publicity. And I think the sculptures are bringing that. Um, I was just up at – I was lucky. I, the borders opened and we got up to – uh, a winter place we go to, Rainbow Beach, yes. up in Fraser Island. Mm. And someone said, where do you come from? And I said, Kernel. And they said, where's that? <laughs> so I'm still yeah. getting I've got that all my life when I travel. And I'm yeah. still getting it. And I said, oh, where Cook landed? And she said, isn't that Cook Town? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. It's such a prominent location in history. And, a, and, and also just a beautiful place. Yeah. The beach the national park it's actually quite surprising how people don't know about it. actually kind of like it you know yeah. it keeps it keeps it you know yeah. the massive crowds but as we know that's changing we're getting yeah. a lot of people's experience especially in summer they've discovered Cornell I personally only discovered for example Boat Harbour which is one of my favorite places to go and you take the dog down there it can scuba dive snorkel take the four-wheel drive down there we only discovered that 10 years ago and you know I was born and bred in wow. Southern Shire, Sir George Shire. So it's all in our backyard. That's right. That's what I'm figuring. That's right. So, but I really want to thank you guys for coming on this morning and um, and sharing your stories because it's just inspiring to hear what's going on uh, in here, literally in our own backyard and, and, and how you guys have pivoted and, and the beauty that you bring to the Shire every morning with your photos, <laughs> Carolyn. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you're you. welcome. I have this is not the end of the Being There podcast live broadcast from Kernel 1770. You can hear the rest of the interviews and a complete sum up in part two.